caught offside with Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. Oh, yes, caught offside from suburban New York City and from Brooklyn, New York. It's Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. What's up, brother? Hey, brother. How are you? It's uh, it's weird. It's a very weird day here. It's been many weird days, but uh, it's three minutes to curfew. Our first curfew in New York City since 1943. These are just such surreal times that we're living in, and we've been talking about that since this the pandemic started, and we had to start doing these podcasts from our, like I always say, our basement and our apartment. Um, and there's just there just seems to be no ceiling to how surreal these times can get. As of course, what's gone on over the past since the the murder of George Floyd. Um, has has created equally surreal scenes. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of that, and we will do our best that we can to kind of like this is a soccer podcast, and we will do everything we can to to connect it to some sort of soccer link. Um, but you know, like you and I are not typically we're not typically shy on these kinds of issues, and it just feels like there are things happening in this country right now that are are so deeply important to our our way of life and to this to this society that we hold so dear um, and it's just a lot of uh, it's a lot of heavy but extremely important stuff I think for us to to dive into so we will do that uh, on this podcast tonight I hope that's cool with all of you listening if it's not then I guess <laughs> I guess we'll check you next week um, but well, JJ, look what are we gonna do do a podcast and not talk about our country falling down around us of course, we're going to talk about this. If people have a problem with it, and and there is a soccer angle to this, as as we've seen over the past few days, a thousand um, percent there is, and that's what I wanted to I wanted to dive straight into it because there were two, there were two things in particular um, that I read this week, really in the last twenty four hours, that they just kind of, in the midst of everything, these two things really like stopped me in my tracks, and I wanted to read them to you. And get your take on them as well. Uh, the first one comes from Dom Dwyer, who, of course, has been on this podcast before. We're a huge fan of his. Um, and he wrote this. I'm not going to read the entire thing. He posted this. Um, I'm going to read a portion of it. He said, growing up as a person of color in England, I was never treated a certain way because of my skin tone. I was always treated as an equal because that's what we are as people, equals. The racial tension I experienced in America doesn't change who I am as a person, who I am as a person has allowed me to raise two children in the United States with those same values I grew up with so that they will build the legacy of love and acceptance for everyone, despite what they might see around them now from others. So there's that. Keep that with you. And then there's this from uh, Natum Anua of Rail Salt Lake, who we've also talked about on this podcast before uh, for him. If you remember his run in with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, he, um, Like I said, he's in MLS now. He's English. He was formerly of QPR. And he said this this week. I am always very wary of how I behave and how it could be viewed by people who have power. For me personally, overall, I don't like to say it, but I have a fear and distrust towards police. In the UK, I am more comfortable because if something happens, it probably will not be deadly. But over here, because of their rights, it is more common that altercations become deadly. I am always very aware of that whenever I go around anywhere. I'm comfortable, but when it comes to any kind of brutality, if it's from the police, if they read me the wrong way, then my life could be taken. I feel that every single day. It is not just me, but everybody else as well. I never go out and feel 100% safe. Those two comments in particular struck me because I don't know how you could be American, somebody who who grew up in this country uh, and really only knows this way of life. I don't know how you you could read something like that and not be utterly taken by it and just in awe of it that people who come to this country that you know we we kind of hold in a certain regard for our freedoms and you know this idea of American exceptionalism you know whether it's true or not it's it's an ideal that people do hold with them in this country uh, and to hear a couple prominent athletes come to this country from another country and talk about how 
you know, Anua saying he doesn't feel 100% safe here. Dom Dwyer talking about trying to make sure he raises his children with the values he he developed in England rather than the ones that they see rising up around him here in the United States. That is that is so troubling and so sad for myself, for other Americans, I would think, and for you, JJ, somebody who's not from here but has certainly loved living in this country and and you know becoming becoming one with American values and American way of life. It's so troubling for me to hear people from other countries come here and live here and try to establish a life here and not feel safe in doing it. And that it hurts me to my core that that feeling persists. And I just, my God, do I hope that what we're seeing the past week since George Floyd's death, for whatever reason, this has struck a chord with America in a, in a, different, in a different sort of way than other incidents of police brutality have. I can't explain why that is necessarily, why what makes something resonate more than than some other act of brutality. But the fact of the matter is we're here now. And as ugly as these days have been, uh, as hard and as painful as it is to watch, you know, I, I just hope so much that those images and these words, it can start to get through people's heads that something has to change. Uh, and I just hope so much that that some sort of shred of positivity can come out of this in the end, because right now it is. It is truly sad to see this. I've been doing a lot of soul searching in the last few days thinking about this. And, and Neda Manua's comments st- struck home with me. Um, myself and Neda Manua aren't that much different. We're both immigrants coming to this country. There's one key crucial difference, and that's the color of our skin. And it's so sad and sickening to look inside myself and see the real truth. Andrew is that there are, there's nowhere in this country. I can't go where I won't be welcomed, where I won't be treated with great kindness. I've been all over this country and I've always been welcomed. And I can't say the same for someone like Neda Manua, that he would be treated equally as I would be treated anywhere I go. And we're both immigrants. Now take that a bit further and think of the African-American experience in this country. There are citizens of this country, people in some cases who've served this country, who are not, who cannot expect the same treatment that I would be afforded from the institutions of this state, of this country, of this nation. Think about that. And it's all down to the color of their skin and the difference between me and them. That is an absolutely shocking thing for me to have to reckon with. And it's extremely sad. And, you know, Dom Dwyer saying that he's raising his two kids and he has to raise them differently than he in, in the United States of America than he would in England is it's a shocking indictment of the country we're in. And, you asked the question about, you know, what makes this difference, say, from Ferguson or from Trayvon Martin or any of those slayings. I think that the difference is that there was the video was different. There wasn't a gun involved and it was just the the visceral, nasty, vicious nature of what we saw. And that went around the world, Andrew. And it's eight minutes long, a man pleading for his life. We watched him die. Everybody watched him die. And that, if that can't prick your conscience, if that doesn't make you realize that something is desperately wrong, then I don't know what will. And that's what made Marcus Turam uh, kneel after scoring his goal for Mönchengladbach at the weekend. It's what has prompted, um, and, and also the fact, you know, it wasn't, it's not just the color of his skin. There was, there's other people, um, white athletes in Europe and in the United Kingdom and the Liverpool football team, for example, all took a knee because this is, this is so shocking. This is something that's happened on our shores, on our soil that has resonated around the world in in a massive way. But yeah, you know, it, it's been tough. It's been, it, it's been tough to, to see what's happened to the country in the, in the last week. And, um, but we can't go on like this. No. No, we certainly can't, and I think we're we're seeing that night after night that we've we've kind of hit that point of critical mass. We've hit that breaking point, and like I said, I just hope that in the end, because you know, th- we 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 feel like there have been other moments of of breaking point that we've reached, but you know, time goes on and messages fade, and I just 
I just hope that this is different. I just hope so much that this, for whatever reason, is different and the message persists uh, and continues to persist. And, and, you know, people continue to, I guess, carry that that anger with them at, at, and remember how they're feeling now. And I wanted to ask you something, ask you about it in particular, because you mentioned Marcus Turam taking the knee and you mentioned Liverpool, what they did. You know, Jaden Sancho uh, showing on his shirt justice for George Floyd. Um, and I don't know, like I saw, so in the games over the weekend in Germany, I saw Weston McKinney had, um, had it kind of on like his arm. And I, even that I was like, oh, wow. You know? Yeah. He wore, he wore a specially made armband that he, he'd written justice for George on. Right. Even that I was like, oh, wow. All the way over across the ocean. I texted you. I was like, even across the ocean, this, this message is getting carried out. But, you know, from Weston McKinney, who's an American born and raised here, yeah, I I guess I can't say I was I was shocked to see it, but then to see Turam and to see Jaden Sancho and to see you know this continue this message continue through other players who are not American who have no link uh, to America Ashraf Hakimi another one um, for Borussia Dortmund I, I was then it started to hit me how different this was and I think sometimes because I I, I live here I've only lived here. Um, I think sometimes you almost forget just the global reach and global influence of events that occur uh, in the United States. And to see the way that this has sparked um, rallies in Germany, in Spain, uh, all around the world, it's, I mean, it's just, it's been truly incredible. Um, And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you, who grew up in Ireland, if that's been an element of America that you have always been aware of, that things that happen here do resonate differently around the globe than say, if, if the reverse had happened, if this had happened, you know, to somebody in England, would we be seeing the sort of rallies and protests here in the United States? I don't know. Is this, is this like a a uniquely American event that it could rally the world this way? Well, I I think also, it's always been that way for me, Andrew. Uh, the United States, as Ricky Gervais once said, makes things famous for good or for bad. Things that happen on these shores resonate around the world. And, you know, the title of the largest Western democracy and, and things like that, you know, that the, the States is always, United States is always taken on. Um, culturally and politically, what happens here matters in a huge, huge way and always had. And, um, I mean, if you look at even, you know the the decisions made by previous administrations they'd be protested in Europe that's happened before i've seen protests on irish soil about actions that are taking place in america america's always had that kind of that global influence also i think in this case the story of civil rights the best known world story of civil rights in in many cases and i suppose looking at it now, civil rights unfulfilled is the United States. I mean, growing up, we we learned in our history books and we read about Martin Luther King. You know, I, I even remember my first introduction to, um, I suppose not my first, but one of the key introductions that I was thinking about over the last few weeks to police brutality was 20 years ago, uh, Amadou Diallo and his murder in the Bronx. And Louis Theroux, came to the United States to 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 look at at um, activism and black activism and in some cases black nationalism surrounding this this whole killing and um America's influence Andrew culturally and globally is still there right now I think in the past we've liked to look upon ourselves in the United States as a moral beacon whether that's been true or not, I would say it, in a lot of cases it has not, and it, that is really the challenge right now. But you're you're right though, because you know you talk about uh, the global influence that America has had, and I guess I don't know. I guess I guess I've always known that that was a thing that you know the United States has always proclaimed itself to be the most powerful nation on earth, and at least in in my lifetime and and before, hmm. um, and. I, I guess I've always just felt that that global influence was was generally a positive. Now you can call that naive. You can call that idealistic. I, I used to think that, Andrew. I used right, to think but that. but I think this is this might be. 
I mean, I'd have to go back and really give this more thought, but I'll just say this now that this might be the first time in my life where I feel like I'm, um, a lot of Americans are being exposed to America's global influence being viewed in a truly negative light. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of been like a big awakening for a lot of Americans out there. I think an important point to make is that the, the, the wars and conflicts that the United States has been involved with has been protested vociferously yeah, yeah. across Europe, around the world. But, and, and we have not, in many countries, we've been viewed as an evil empire. That's not what I'm talking about, really. I think if we, if we focus in on civil rights and the certain incidents, we'll say, I mentioned Ferguson, I mentioned uh, Trayvon Martin, the killing of Eric Garner, all those things, they did resonate back home, but just not in the way that the killing of, of George Floyd has. And I think people around the world are getting an insight into the continuing systematic and institutionalized problems we face in this country. I think it's it's under the microscope now in a way that the protests against the wars in Vietnam and Iraq haven't been. This is this is a very microscopic insight into the black experience in America in 2020. And it's been shared around the world because technology allows it to now in a way that probably ha- hasn't even, well, maybe Ferguson and Trayvon Martin in, in, in that case, yes. But I think this was a really kind of vicious insight into, into, into our country right now. Yeah. Now, thankfully, I mean, we mentioned Jaden Sancho and other Bundesliga players. Thankfully, they will face no disciplinary action uh, for making anti-racism statements, which I can't believe is even a thing that I have to say or a statement that had to be put out. But that is, in fact, the case. Uh, in a statement, the German Football Association said no proceedings would take place against the four players, quote, because of their solidarity and anti-racism statements. It added The panel also intends to maintain this line in the event of renewed anti-racism campaigns to mark the violent death of George Floyd on the coming days. Now, FIFA rules state that players must not display political statements. uh, But Gianni Infantino said on Tuesday, quote, for the avoidance of doubt in a FIFA competition, the recent demonstrations of players in Bundesliga matches would deserve an applause and not a punishment. We all must say no to racism and any form of discrimination. Um, all of that there feels like the obvious statements of the century. However, we're not all that far removed from from me not really knowing what sort of stance FIFA would take if there would be just kind of like this general letter of the law ruling. Uh, thankfully, common sense is prevailing, and you know the the work that FIFA and you know other other soccer bodies around the world are are taking to try and weed out. Uh, racism and discrimination from the sport. I think you're at least seeing it manifest itself here, even if this is the most obvious way imaginable um, by not coming down on these, on these players for voicing their, uh, their sentiments. I mean, even Jenny Infantino read the room correctly on this one. Uh, and, and also there's a, a, a qualitative difference between, you know, what we saw between uh, Switzerland and Serbia and the Albanian nationalist gestures that were made in that game in front of a crowd and what the fair and reasonable statement of justice for George Floyd means, you know? So um, I would have been shocked if FIFA had gone in a different direction with that. Yeah. Something that I've been wondering about, um, you know, cause uh, you, you see Weston McKinney and I mean, if you read, I have it here, I can go through it, but if you read what DeAndre Yedlin wrote, um, it's just incredibly powerful. I mean, I'll, I'll go through a portion of it here. He says, a couple days after George Floyd's death, my grandfather texted me and told me he's glad that I'm not living in the U.S. right now because he would fear for my life as a young black man. As days have passed, this text from my grandfather has not been able to leave my mind. He was born in 1946, lived through the civil rights movement, lived through some terribly racist times in U.S. history, and now 70 years later, he still fears for the life of his black grandchild in the country he and his grandchild were born in, in the country his grandchild represents when he plays for the United States in the country his grandchild represents when he's playing in England. You know, I, I read that and it got me thinking like in the, in a soccer frame of mind, like there, there is something about this sport and its ties to national pride. You know, there is just something about a world cup, you know, it, maybe I'm being soccer centric here, somebody who loves the game, but like that competition 
you know, it, it stands out to me above other competitions. I put the World Cup above the Olympics um, for for at least myself. I don't speak for everybody, but like, you know, there is something about these guys who put on that jersey and you hear them use the line all the time of what it means to represent their country, what it means to wear those colors, uh, the red, white, and blue. And, you know, I can't answer this. I, I'm a white guy in this country. You, you can't answer this. Um, I just wonder if a DeAndre Yedlin or Weston McKinney or someone like that would, with what they're feeling right now about this country, if if it would be hard for them to represent the U.S. in in a competition right now and put on those colors and 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 feel pride in it. Well, it's interesting you should mention that because Zach Steffen made a statement today, and he's speaking exactly to your sentiments and your thoughts. This is what he said. If I'm going to wear the U.S. flag, I need to know that it stands for something worth defending. I need to know that my country supports black lives, that our leaders see us, that they hear us. I am proud to defend my nation. All I ask is that my nation also defends me. I mean, that's as strong as you can get. And and if you're a U.S. soccer fan now, that the opening gambit, if I'm going to wear the U.S. flag, you know, if this is a question that I'm sure at black African-American athletes are asking themselves right now, should we continue to lend our skills, to lend our imprimatur, um, our abilities to a country that doesn't value us as equally as it should, or a country with institutions that do not treat us equally. It's a good point that you make. And, and we will see. I would be shocked if the U.S. men's national team goes back in the field in the future and we see the anthem being played and we don't see some kind of possibly a kneeling, possibly some kind of of acknowledgement that they want to see better from the country. So I've been wondering about that because remember, you know, that was – U.S. soccer, I've been thinking, okay, Zach Steffen, DeAndre Yedlin, these guys feel this way. Is there anything really that U.S. soccer can do? Obviously, U.S. soccer is going to put out the requisite statements uh, showing solidarity with, with you know, the movement and how their players are feeling uh, about the issue. Like, I think that is all, that's all a given. So I was thinking, is there anything that really that they can do of substance? And it took me back three years ago. JJ, when kind of the Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the national anthem, when that was kind of a, of its peak national interest, and you may you remember U.S. soccer, looking back on it now, they handled it in a way that probably did not sit well with a lot of their minority athletes. Uh, this was from three years ago uh, at NBC Sports. U.S. Soccer Federation has adopted a policy that says national team players quote shall stand respectfully during national anthems. Uh, the policy was approved last month, but came to light Saturday before the U.S. women's national team lost to England in the She Believes Cup. Uh, that like did that age well? That decision, looking at kind of where we are here now today, three years later. Uh, it, no, that, that can't like. I, look, I don't know. I don't necessarily know what the right way is to protest in a situation like this, but I do know that. Colin Kaepernick kneeling captured the national attention, which is what needed to happen. And unfortunately, it didn't necessarily achieve the goals that he set out to. And so what was the next step? Well, we're looking at what the next step is now with with the last, what has it been, seven nights of protesting in every major city in America? Like, that has now captured the national attention in a different way. Um, so, like, for the U.S. to have come out with that being their policy, that is – that. It, I'm sure that is going to have to change, and I'm sure the next time we see these players out on the field, you're going to see players kneeling. I, I, and, I, and U.S. I, soccer better. I, I would hope that they would have a statement in support and solidarity with those players and their decision to do that. It's in a new regime at U.S. soccer as well. It'll be interesting to see how they they respond. But I think that um, I remember at the time saying um, compelling patriotism or compelling, you know, that you must uh, you must stand was it was just. It was bad. It was badly thought out. It wasn't. It wasn't properly thought through. And um, I mean, I don't want to predict the future, but like you said, I, I do. I do think we'll see shows of that in soccer, considering the the temperature of things right now. Um, but but I want to take us back to to the main point. And I was listening to 
um, Dr. Harry Edwards, who has been a, a, a confidant and an advisor to Colin Kaepernick. And he was talking on Irish radio and um, he said at this point now, he was, the question was put to him, what happens from these protests going forward? And um, he said, you need to move from protest gesture to strategic action. And um, former President Barack Obama was talking tonight as well. And he talked about reform has to take place at the local level and take the momentum of these protests and follow through with action. So we're talking about local policing and municipalities and not to take this away from soccer, but there is only so much soccer can do. There is only so much that soccer players can do and and they will protest and they should use their platform to do that. But ultimately, Andrew, this is going to come down to, like I said, systemic change in the institutions that govern us and that police us. Oh, yeah. Look, this is not a sports issue. This is an, this is an American culture issue. Uh, we're only talking about it in a sports prison because this is a soccer podcast. And you're going to keep seeing the manifestations of unrest in sports um, as long as we've got this issue in the country. Yes, uh, I would agree. Um, you know, you're talking about the local, the, the temperature of all this. You're in Brooklyn. I mean, there's been protesting there virtually every night since George Floyd was killed. What is, what's it been like? Um, you know, I feel kind of detached being outside of the city. Um, it's, it's been, so I, I went to the Barclays center on, on Sunday night to, to kind of observe and to see what was going on. And there was a huge crowd there, um, extremely peaceful. Um, you know, there was, there was people talking, kind of giving speeches. You're seeing everybody walk around the streets now, Andrew, visibly wearing, uh, black lives matter t-shirts and having banners at the ready. Um, it, it feels very strange especially since the curfew now, because I, I went up on our roof and uh, as you know, our roof gives a kind of a great view of Brooklyn and the city and the streets being empty and just helicopters over top, just droning over the top. It, it gives it this eerie feel. Um, it's, it's felt at times tense and other times it's, it's actually felt um, like there's a real sense of, of purpose and togetherness in people. Um, especially on Sunday, as I was cycling over to the Barclays Center, everybody kind of moving towards there. And I would say this, and it's something that um, President Obama mentioned tonight in his speech, there is a, a Pan-American feel to this. There is a black, white, Asian, uh, Polish, German. There's There's a broad spectrum of protester and of concerned citizen and people i know who are white have been on the march people i know who are black have been on the march um it's 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 been scary at times obviously with the with the pictures that you see with the increased police presence but um it's it's i i there's no one word for this right <laughs> i'm well, sitting i'm sitting here it's it's 25 past eight 8.26, 8.25, 8.26, whatever time it is, on a Wednesday night, and I can't go outside the door of my apartment. That's, it's abnormal. It's surreal. It's weird. And for all, for all, you know, the times I can say there's a good spirit amongst the protesters from what I can see, then you see businesses being smashed up later on in the night. It's, um, it's weird. And it escalated within a few days. It's incre- it's an incredible time. Yeah, I mean this this clash of like pandemic meeting up with these protests all around the country. It just has like I, I saw somebody took a picture. Uh, was it Martha Raddatz uh, took a picture from the Lincoln Memorial, which was being protected by the National Guard as like a, a her, like a thousand protesters uh, stood down below, and it just had this dystopian feel to it. Um, where I could, you looked at it and like this is this is not a movie. This is this is American life in the year 2020. Um, I guess before we move off of this, um, you know, it it looks dystopian, but I guess you hope that something utopian can come from it, and that you know, I don't want to sound corny, but that we can just find a way to to love one another and just get along in a way that um, 
and be tolerant of each other in a way that has eluded us for generations. And it's, it's hard to ask that change to happen overnight. Um, this is, like you said, systemic, but this hopefully can be a starting point. And I think that's really all, that's really all that I can, can say about it. Just this hope that something good can come from it. I'd echo those sentiments. I've got nothing. I've got nothing else to say, Andrew. We are in the situation right now and, um, it's, it's surreal and you're hoping for the best. You really are. Yeah. Uh, so we'll continue to talk about this in the weeks to come, of course, uh, because it's, um, it's been such a huge part of our daily life and, you know, the involvement of, of soccer players all across the globe. I'm sure we'll see more as the Premier League gets set for its return uh, in a couple weeks. So we will, of course, continue uh, to talk about this. But I did uh, I did want to at least mention that today was a, uh, a huge day in MLS as the um, a restart is upon us. The, a union source told ESPN that the um, – the, uh, with this agreement, the CBA agreement that they reached today, which will go through the year 2025, uh, total amount of economic concessions is over $100 million. It includes an across-the-board salary cut of 7.5%, which is uh, is not retroactive. It kicks in uh, or kicked in on May the May 31st payroll period, which we're in now. Uh, players will have the option to delay their salary cuts until after this Orlando tournament takes place, but the total amount of the cut will be the same. Performance and individual bonuses will be capped at $5 million for the season. So they reached the CBA agreement. Um, there will be soccer. It's going to look different. Everything about it is going to be different. Uh, it is the Orlando plan, which was which will be uh, group stage format, uh, Western Conference and Eastern Conference, three groups per conference, uh, two of which will have four teams, one will have five, and they will play out a tournament. And that will be your MLS season. Yes. Um, what well, I, I, it's broadly what we expected. It seems as if from the statements from both sides, this was a hard fought negotiation. And, um, I think ultimately MLS looked at it and I'm sure the players did as well and thought it would be apocalyptic if this league did not resume this summer, if this was not played out, if there couldn't be the concessions needed and the environment created for them to go and play this out. I don't know what you think, Andrew, but I don't think the league, even in its 20-something year, could survive not playing a season, especially... I don't know. I, to... I, I, I think especially, Andrew, if you look at the Bundesliga's ability to restart, the Premier League now in advanced... I mean, the Premier League is coming back. It's going to happen. Yeah. The idea that American soccer fans would not have their own domestic league operating for a season would, I, I think it would be catastrophic. Yeah, it would be catastrophic. Apocalyptic, I don't know if I'm prepared to say that. It's hard. It just, it's simply impossible for me to envision that next year we would no longer have a professional soccer league. I just can't believe that to be true. I, but, um, but but what, uh, you know, I, I, I think, I just think that's naive, Andrew. The, the eyeballs of the American soccer fan or the guy who's interested in American soccer are being pulled hither and thither by from Germany to England, you know, it's, well, look, to it, Mexico, to Mexico, the idea that you can take away the league in the United States and still there is top quality action on somewhere else. And then think you can just resume it and everything will be okay the following year. I don't believe it. MLS struggles. It's certainly regular season, it struggles to capture the attention of the soccer fan in this country. It's almost last on the menu in many cases. You've you've had your diet of Serie A, you've had your diet of Premier League in the morning, and MLS sometimes is the, the last thing on your mind by the end of the weekend in a normal scenario. I, I don't think... I applaud MLS and the Players Association for getting this done because it's crucial it's crucial to the future of the league here, in my view. That is true. It is absolutely crucial uh, to the future of this league. And it's good that they found labor Not peace. Not the future of interest in soccer, just to be clear. No, no, no. But for the future of this league. And that they'll have labor peace at least through 2025 is important. And I want to give... Look, we kind of made fun of this a little bit last week. But I actually want to talk about it a little bit more seriously. I do want to give them like real, actual credit for having kept these negotiations as quiet 
from a public perspective as possible because we we've, we've seen what's going on in baseball and how ugly it is. And so the fact that I mean, okay, the the athletic got bits and pieces here and there, but by and large these negotiations were not done. They were not conducted through the media. No, you're right, Andrew. It wasn't like Don Garber had to hire an investigative team and a firm. But these these negotiations were not done through the media in the way that baseballs have been. The Athletic got two stories, right? Essentially, it was two stories. Now, big big ones uh, where, you know, we got a sense of what terms were and those stories were extremely accurate as Don Garber essentially confirmed by going out and hiring an investigator to plug the leaks from moving forward. Um, but by and large, these were, I felt pretty, pretty quiet in terms of, uh, what the public and the fans were aware of. Now, one thing that I do worry about, because you use the term catastrophic, had the league not continued, um, this season and had there been no MLS for the 2020 season. Um, I do, I do wonder if that word is still in play because, you know, this league for whatever success and popularity it has achieved, uh, it has done so largely from an in-stadium experience, from that perspective, from an attendance perspective. Its TV ratings are still leaving much to be desired. Now, we know we're headed for a season of no fans. It's going to be a tournament taking place in Orlando with no fans there. Um, and so that this they get soccer back, but it does not solve the issue of how that money will be made up. That money is lost. Uh, for what they would make for their gate attendance. Uh, and will we see an uptick in TV ratings? Maybe. I hope so. You know, obviously fans that aren't able to watch uh, in the stadium will be watching at home, and fans that may just be craving sports will be watching at home. But by the time MLS comes back, sports and soccer will be back. The NBA announced that they're coming back. The NHL announced it last week. Uh, I don't know what the hell's going on with baseball, but whatever. Um so, you know, once again, the marketplace will be somewhat flooded with the return of other sports. Um, so I hope, you know, I hope that it is not catastrophic, even in its return. I think the execution of the tournament, the um, the new insights we've been promised, they're going, they've said, we, we discussed this on the podcast last week, didn't we, that MLS plans to do something new, something different, something vibrant. They're going to give us something uh, a little bit, you know, I was going to say like the XFL did originally, but that's not fair. They're go- they are going to do or try to give the fan watching on on TV something else. And in the absence of fans in the ground, especially when you tune into games like Portland and Seattle, places like that, Atlanta, you're going to need something a little bit different. I'm curious, Andrew. I I think it is an opportunity for them to be expansive. You don't want them to go crazy. I understand that too. But um No, measured change. Measured or <laughs> that would be if I that would be my slogan if I were running for like Don Garber's job. Andrew Gundling promises measured change. <laughs> right. You know. I'm Andrew Gundling and I approve this message. That's my voice, huh? That's what yeah. you hear. That's how you sound, buddy. Yeah. But I mean, the thing I wonder about uh is just how much credibility people will will lend to MLS this season. Like, I think that I'll be, I guess I can't know how I'll feel until we're in it. I think I'll be genuinely excited, and I think that this will be a lot of fun. But I've said before on this podcast, and I'll say it again now, that like in, in years to come, it will be hard for me to to view this season as anything other than a standalone bizarre tournament. Okay, fine. But like, have you not made your peace with the fact that whatever way we have sports back, it's going to be different, truncated, odd, weird. That's just the way it is. Like I've made my peace with that. I'm ready to see what they've got. Move on, Andrew. You're I, living you're living in March 2020. You're still thinking there's a normality possible. You know what? You're right. Screw it. You're right. Like who cares what history will look back upon? If we if you enjoy it in the moment, if your team wins and you want to celebrate it as though you feel it's a legitimate title, then go ahead. You're right. I, I got. I have to move off of this. I can't worry about how this will be perceived in the year 2040. Like, okay, fine. There's going to be an asterisk next to this season. It is what it is. But you're right. Accept it. You, Andrew Gundling, 2040. He's looking to your future. Um, let's see, JJ. We have a uh, – actually, you know, but we, we haven't mentioned even – because the EPL announced their return – 
just after last week's podcast, right? So we didn't really get a chance to react. We kind of knew that it was coming. Yeah, it's um, been a slow drip, and it's basically been about convincing people that they have a plan in which to do things correctly and move forward. Right. You remember the episode of The Office when Dunder Mifflin is going under and Michael Scott is brought up by the board as like a, a beacon of hope? which is horrifying. And he gets up there and the crowd is booing everything they say and he just can't take it anymore. So he just, he just gets up there and says, we've got a plan. We're going to go back in there. We're going to come up with a plan. It's an eight point plan or whatever. He says, we're going to come back out. We're going to tell you the plan. And everybody goes wild. And then he gets back into the room and they said, we have no plan. What are you talking about? And so then he just escapes in a limousine to go back to Scranton. Now, fortunately it appears the EPL does have a plan and they are going to be able to play soccer again. Yeah, and we're going to go into a little bit more depth um, next week, which will be our final podcast before we get the Premier League back, which is going to be exciting. We'll have to do a Premier League relaunch podcast next week. Yeah, kind of like what we did with the Bundesliga. Yeah, except bigger and in English. <laughs> that's right. Now, can, can, I just, can, German. <laughs> can I give you just one little tidbit that's um, interesting from these pandemic days? So uh, Max Rushton, uh, the... Who does he work for now? I suppose he's the, is he the Guardian podcast? Well, the, the journalist, the football journalist um, tweeted this out. Uh, and I think it's great. This is an insight for all of you. in And, and most of you will, that are weekend warriors that play soccer in Sunday League. You'll understand this. You will accept this. Um, so clubs uh, have been given the go-ahead to take part in friendly matches ahead of the planned resumption of the Premier League. And when I read this, I was like, woo. Well, if actual games are problematic, how are you having practice games? Wait for this. Venues must be no more than 90 minutes away and players must travel in their own cars to and from fixtures while wearing the kit they will play in. PGI oh, uh, feels so like... It's Sunday League. Yeah. <laughs> you're wearing your kit under your tracksuit. You're driving. There's no, there's no locker rooms. There's no changing rooms. You just tog out on the sideline and go into the game. Um, referees and assistants are yet to be tested for COVID-19. So for now, club coaching staff will referee the matches. That's exactly what I talked. The last time I got injured playing soccer in New Jersey there um, in the fall, we turned up for a game. The ref didn't turn up. So a guy on the sideline refereed the game. God, there's just something so pure and grassroots it's, about it. Oh, it's wonderful. I wonder, will they have tea and oranges at halftime? Oh, it's hardly wonderful. Oh, for a practice game, to for these guys to have to do a bit of driving themselves, for them to have to, you know, muck it out like the working classes, rough it like the rest of us, I think that's great. There was an old man, um, the club I used, I first played for, I, I, the club I, in Ireland that I played first for at senior level. So I was always the, the teenager, the younger guy playing with these guys, who's guys who were twice my age in some cases. Um, there was an old guy, um, he used to say, uh, serve us, tea at half time like you could have a cup of tea at half time it's just a different time man now you'd have some statistician or some nutritionist coming over and telling you that's bad for you i think it's oh, great yeah. that how awful that you know paid professionals are trying to get us to better ourselves physically believable i'll tell you what i'm looking at a picture right now jj like at the end of the year if we do some kind of like 2020 year in review i think i found the picture that we can put on that episode uh it's at the bloomfield stadium in tel aviv where they have installed a special tunnel to spray players with disinfectant in the battle against the coronavirus and it's a man standing in a, a glass tunnel which it looks like something you would see at, at an airport security line as he's being sprayed with disinfectant like this is this is our picture year in review 2020 caught offside like it's it's kind of uh, humiliating. I mean, in what way? Like, it, it's not like he's being sprayed because, like, they because he like needs a shower. Yeah, but that's what happens to cattle and livestock, Andrew. <laughs> I mean, what is going on? I know. By the way, you look. You definitely look like you could do with a good scrubbing down. Oh my god! I'm You're proud hit- to say because I've talked to a lot of people, and I bet. I'm better than you in this regard, I bet. Since since we have been in quarantine, I have showered every single day. Can you say that? I can't. And you know what I've noticed? The little the things that never you know me, I'm obsessed with the way I smell. Yeah, I never you know, bring deodorant 
with you and spray yourself before we do a show. I can't have someone sitting beside me and thinking, oh, my God, that guy. I can't wait to get out of this room. I can't have it. Um, but lately, standards have slipped. I was walking into the kitchen today and then I had to turn and suddenly go back the other way because I'd forgotten something. Mm-hmm. I got a bit of armpit waft. You smelled yourself? Oh, yeah. Bad. It's bad. So, don't, yeah, don't go talking about me just because, look. No, your hair. Your hair, hair is. You look like you should have been the bassist in the stereophonics or oasis. I'm wondering what I think I'm going to just let it let it ride. A man wants to cut my hair and I keep saying no. No, I think it's the best you've ever looked. I'm going to I'm going to let this go. In fact, so I told you my sister was supposed to have gotten married uh, back in early May and obviously that couldn't happen so she the wedding was kind of postponed indefinitely but her and her fiance decided that they want to they're kind of like, you know what, we don't know how long we're going to be waiting for before we can have the wedding that we had ideally hoped for. So they're just going to do, they decided on a super, like a really small private ceremony. Um, Applebee's, gotcha. And so, but my sister asked me to officiate this this wedding. Oh. Which, first of all, what an, what an amazing honor Ooh. for her to have asked me. Um, oh my God, I can see you. Of all, I'm already nervous. Third of all, this wedding is now about me. And fourth, I'm, I'm wondering if I if it's acceptable for me to look <laughs> how, I, how I look. I and think your her, her pictures now are going to be me up there officiating the wedding. Can I have this hair and beard? You look very similar to well, your hair at least looks very similar to Owen Wilson when he officiates the wedding in is it Meet the Fockers one or two? Okay, right. Right, so you yeah, can get away with it. Um, I'm presuming this is going to be an ecumenical service. So it's not going to be actually. I've never heard that word before, but continue. <laughs> uh, what I'm saying is it's not going to be either a Jewish or Christian ceremony because you non-denominational have to, is non-denominational. Boom. That's the word. Cause you'd have to actually get trained as either a rabbi or a priest. Oh God. Actually, I'd love if your sister insisted that you had to go through some kind of religious training that would be oh right yeah and thank you so much for agreeing i've already enrolled you in a rabbinical program (laughs) (laughs) but it could be funny because you you knowing you if you got the title of rabbi you'd make me call you it every single day a thousand percent yes yeah thousand percent and i would change the whole tenor of this podcast would change it would become I would speak in sermons rather than kind of in like short bursts. Uh, I'm sure our audience would love it. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. We have a mailbag, but before we get to that, JJ, I just want to tell you that during this time of change, we want you to know that ZipRecruiter's focus has not changed. They're still doing what they've always done, helping people find work and helping businesses find the right people for their open roles. If you're looking And we rise up. piano. If you're looking for a job, ZipRecruiter is working with you to find the right job faster. Now, I will say you can, like, we we do break out the we will rise up and the piano stuff and mock some of this. But I would say this, this, knowing that, what is it, roughly 40 million Americans are out of work, I would actually say that this is, this is like a, a vital service that is being provided right now to a lot of people who are in desperate need of a job. No, I um, shouldn't mock ZipRecruiter. They've never been more relevant. Uh, ZipRecruiter dedicated to helping you get hired from caretaking to delivering food and goods to building medical facilities, supplying protective equipment, and so much more. In fact, uh, ZipRecruiter's app will send you up-to-date job openings so you can be one of the first to apply. And if you're actively hiring, ZipRecruiter will invite candidates to apply to your most urgent roles, making it faster and easier to reach the people that you need. By connecting people who need jobs and companies that need people, ZipRecruiter is working with all of us so we can keep moving forward. Let's work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. Uh, that is that is important right now. That is extremely important right now because a lot of people are are struggling. A lot of people need work. And so uh, ZipRecruiter, what was it? Let me read it one more time. Uh, ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. Uh, let's see, JJ, you have a mailbag here. I have a mail busy, Andrew, and I'm springing a surprise on you because oh, I've just no. add, I've added a quick email from because when someone emails us from uh, the Antipodean region, I I must respond because it's uh, I, I feel like they've they've gone to great pains. Uh, Luke Styles from Brisbane 
Um, hope we hope he hopes you're well, and we hope you are well too, Luke. I wanted to get your thoughts on Coutinho this season. A lot of the reports are saying that Bayern won't take up the option to sign him permanently. However, my question is this: Do you think he has a good season? Has had a good season at Bayern pre-COVID? The opinion seems to be pretty split. However, the early part of this year suggested to me he was back to peak Coutinho pre-Barcelona. What are your thoughts? I actually, I have one thing to say about this. He was having a good, a decent season. He had eight goals and six assists. He was playing well when, whenever I'd, I'd seen him play. But I, I will say I've forgotten about him completely. If you watched how Bern completely took apart Dusseldorf the other day, and you look at the system they're playing in, you look how well Thomas Muller is playing. I mean, again, he is. I don't think he gets into this team right now. Uh, no, not. I don't see how he could right now. But I don't know. Like I thought his his first part of the season was good. I've always I've always thought pretty highly of him as a player. I know that he had his struggles at Barcelona, but. I don't know, there was part of me that wondered if he was kind of almost made a scapegoat for deeper issues that were occurring within that club. Sure. Uh, so like, I was reading about it that Jose Mourinho was interested for Spurs who were in on him last summer but couldn't get it across the line. And Jose basically said that he would love to have him, but he's afraid that having him on the team would cause other star players to want to raise uh, their their pay as well, which seems like a funny reason. Like, we talk. Talk about like a lack of ambition from a club. We can't go out and get really good players because we're afraid that our other really good players are going to want to be paid like really good players. Yeah, let's um, not go inspiring our players now. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Like, I, I, I've always been a fan of his. Uh, he could play for my team. I'd be happy to have him. And uh, But you're right. With Barcelona or with Bayern Munich, I'm trying to think of where he where he does slot in for the – I don't want to judge his permanent role in the team by a relatively small patch in form. Like they've they've looked good since we came back from this restart. That's only been. Let me put it another way. He is not, even now, he has not established himself as an indispensable part of a top tier team. And so the search goes on. And that's why uh, before. The, when the rumors were super hot about the Newcastle takeover, who were we hearing about possibly coming to the club? Felipe Coutinho. He was apparently in talks with Leicester. All the rumor mill was going. Andrew, he is uh, his career is in a bit of flux right now at 27. That's that's how I would put Boy, it. Boy, he's still so young. Yeah. Um, Nightwing, 1996. He sent us this picture of Landon Donovan from his oft-forgotten spell at Bayern Munich in in, tw- in 2009. Now, I'm presuming Nightwing sent it to us because we've been doing a bit of Landy Cakes revisionism, which is a serious historical pursuit. He was on loan there in 2009. Uh, it's it's kind of jarring to see him uh, in the in the Bayern Munich colors, is it not? In that jersey back in the day, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I remember it. Um, he never played a, a competitive game, did he? I don't think he did. I don't believe so. Uh, so can can I link some things together here? So I just had a quick Google and I found these quotes from uh, Rafa Honigstein on Donovan's short stint at FC Bern. Um, and maybe I'm just being, you know, too Mulder and Scully on this linking it all together. But Vice President Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and President Uli Honis couldn't understand why Jurgen Klinsmann had desperately wanted to sign Donovan back in the summer in the first place. He was advertised as world-class by the manager, but obviously couldn't quite cut it at this level. Both the club and the players lost faith in Klinsmann's judgment. After the club dismissed the 45-year-old Klinsmann in April 2009, Donovan, without much fault of his own, quickly became a byword for the Swabians' perceived incompetence. Now, fast forward to when Donovan decided he would take that sabbatical while Jurgen Klinsmann was American manager. I'm wondering if... Jurgen, that really hurt Jurgen because he put so much faith in him at Bayern Munich. That faith wasn't repaid, and the next thing, he's not going to a World Cup in 2014. Boy, that would that feels. I don't know. I Am wonder, I reaching? I wonder if that's a leap to say that Jurgen was harboring some kind of resentment. Why? Because Donovan didn't turn out to be as good as as no, Jürgen no. Listen, listen to the words that I'm saying. Uh-huh. Okay. He put faith in him, brought him to FC Bayern. It didn't work out, and it was part of his demise there. Although, 
I'm sure there was plenty of reasons for that from what we've heard from uh, Philippe Lam and players at the time. Then Donovan goes and takes this sabbatical when Klinsman needs him for the, for the U.S. men's national team. And when it comes to the crunch in 2014, Klinsman decides, I'm not going to go with him. I can't. I think, I, I mean, I think it had everything to do with sabbatical, but I don't know. I don't know. I, you'd have to ask Jurgen Klinsman. I, I, I mean, this was in 2009. Right. Like, that's, that's a long time to have kind of harbored that. I think it was more about the sabbatical. By the way, did we say he didn't have appearances at Bayern? Because he did. He made he made six appearances, five in the league and one in the in the cup. Oh, um, so uh, he did play for them, but it was it was oh limited. Well, I, I, limited. Six, yeah, I thought six he appearances. I, I thought he. I read somewhere he didn't play competitively. Anyway, this uh, rewriting careers Andrew has sponsor uh, has um, prompted rather a lot of interest from people. Richard Cologne. JJ, hopefully you still check Twitter. Yes, I do indeed, sir. When you and Andy discuss a redo for a player's career, how about Giuseppe Rossi? What if he he had chosen to play for the USA and is on the World Cup 2014 team instead of Wando? Rossi never made a World Cup roster for Italy and would have made two for the USA. Okay, so he made two provisional rosters for the Italians, but he never made the final 23-man squads for 2010 in South Africa or 2014 in Brazil. And the 2012 European Championships, he was injured. That is interesting. Like I suppose the important thing to say is Rossi never really ever expressed an interest in playing for the United States. The United States wanted him to play quite badly and made several approaches, especially um, when Brad, Bob Bradley was manager. Um, would he have been fit is is the biggest question that uh, kind of permeates his career. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Andrew. Um, well, I guess I'd have to go back and look exactly when injuries occurred and just how much of an impact that had on his chances of making World Cup rosters. Um, I guess, yeah, the, the, main, the main thought I have on it is I, I never envisioned this segment being a, a vessel for people to relive their, their Wando uh, feelings from that missed attempt in that World Cup. Like, I feel like every week now I mean, we're getting another message about how we could have rewritten some way for that for someone else to have been there to score that goal. I mean, Richard is literally rewriting someone else's career so he can write Wando out of one of the biggest right. moments of his career. <laughs> what have we done? It was never. I thought we were supposed to, we were supposed to be a vessel for Wando positivity. Jeez, we failed. No, no, I feel I feel bad about that. Uh, gratuitous shout out Hassan hi JJ thanks for the shout out in your latest podcast for your listeners in Bangladesh you're an international pod to us there you go Andrew put you in your place Um, Gabe Bustamante hey guys big fan of the pod for the last year and some change I graduated on Thursday this is Thursday in the middle of May I missed this one May May 18th, I think. I graduate on Thursday from medical school and I will be an official internal medicine doctor starting the hospital next month on the front lines. Wow. Since our since our graduation was cancelled, I was hoping to get a shout out from my favorite pod ever. All the best guys, keep on making gold. And for Andrew, come on, you Spurs. Oh yeah. Congrats. Well, Gabe, I, wow. I have to you're uh, you're gonna be this month actually, you're gonna become a very important part of uh, of our society right now. And uh we salute you. Well done. And finally, Andrew, my favorite email of the last week comes from Ethan Wyland. Hi, guys. I'm not sure if you read Rory Smith's weekly soccer column for the New York Times, but he had an interesting thought this week regarding the FA Cup. I'll quote it from here. English soccer will stage the semifinals and final of the FA Cup in the same week, all behind closed doors, obviously, and all at Wembley. This is clearly... A Heath Robinson solution, a way of crossing the T's and dotting the lowercase J's of the season. It is also quite possibly the best idea anyone has had during the long span of the shutdown. This should become the standard. In fact, it should go further. Next year, why not hold off on playing the quarterfinals of the Cup, usually held in late March, until the week after the season has finished, then play the semifinals a few days later and the final the following weekend? 
The glamour and significance of the FA Cup has been fading for years. It now ranks for most teams either as nuisance or an afterthought. Adjusting the schedule in this way solves many of these problems at once. It turns the Cup final into the season's final act. It turns the latter rounds into a compelling mini-tournament staged at a time when fans have nothing else to watch. And it diminishes how much the Cup interrupts the league season, buying teams a little more breathing space in the schedule. It is perfect. Let's not make it a one-off. What do you guys think of this? Of this personally, I think it's an awesome idea, and would love to see it actually instituted. Love the pod, and hope both of you are staying safe and healthy. Thank you very much for that, Ethan. Thoughts? Andrew? So, wow. I love, I love it. I think I do too. So, when I first read it, I was kind of trying to think in my head of, okay, well, what are the what are the obvious drawbacks of it? Um, I don't, I don't know what those are necessarily, except for. Like maybe if it was a situation where you had a tight title race that went down to near the end of the season and teams are just exhausted, maybe you don't get like the full representation of, of those teams. Once you get to this portion of the FA cup tournament, like maybe the best teams are just wiped from some kind of intense title campaign. But uh, even that kind of rings hollow to me because you could just as easily have a tight battle uh, for relegation, like it's not just title contending teams that would be affected. Any teams in any battles would be affected. Um, I, I think I don't know. I think I kind of do like it actually. I, I think it's uh, I think it's great, and the idea that you know it becomes this mini tournament. I think that's something you think about it, Andrew. As Arsene Wenger pointed out many times, at the end of a league season, there's only one team that's happy. Everybody else is upset, and this kind of gives an impetus beyond the end of the league season into this little mini tournament. And especially in a season where there isn't that many, sorry, excuse me, when there's a season that there isn't a international tournament. And I, I mean, we always talk about too much football, but this is, this is the same amount of football compressed nicely, I think. Right. Instead of it interrupting the EPL, it'll just be moved until after the EPL. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to compete with that. It doesn't have this letdown effect. Like people, and it's got so its engaged, own, and it's got its own special kind of little tournament, and then and then big day, and it is the natural marker, the absolute end of the season. Yeah, and like the momentum of it will continue. It'll still be in fresh. Like the quarterfinal will happen. It'll still be fresh in people's minds rather than having to wait like a month be- between matches. You know what? I'm in. I'm in. Like I don't know if the FA Cup is in quite as much. Uh, danger as is being portrayed there. Maybe it is. Maybe English fans really don't care anymore, and it does need some kind of dr- like truly drastic action to give it the reinjection of interest. Um, and if so, I, that's as good an idea as any. I, mean, I, I think so too. Um, I'll ju- I'll just round off with this uh, in the mailbag. Andrew Robert Cordova got in touch with us on Sunday night. Dear Andrew and JJ, I want to start by wishing you well with all that is going on in America. I know that what you are seeing in NYC and Andrew City, Philadelphia, and the rest of the country is breaking your hearts. I know you both make it a point to do a show every week, but given what is happening, it's completely understandable. Just want to send my prayers to you. Keep your spirits up. Thank you for your time. I thought that was something really nice. That is very nice. I mean, look, I appreciate that immensely that people are thinking of us. We're, we're fine. We are fine. Um, thankfully. Um, but you know, thank you. Uh, nevertheless. Uh, and thank you to everybody who's continued to listen, even as soccer has kind of been an afterthought. We, we appreciate that. We really do. Um, I guess before we get out, JJ, the, the last thing I want to say, I, I hope this doesn't come across like I'm shoehorning this in at the end of the podcast, because it, it is something I meant to mention earlier, and I would feel bad if I didn't say this. I just want to make it clear that you know we are we are understanding of the fact that the police have an extraordinarily difficult job to do. Um, and I don't want to just brush over the idea of you know the greatest signs of hope that I've seen in the last week have been the images that I've seen from Camden, New Jersey, uh, with their police force marching, holding a banner with protesters. And what I saw that took place in Flint, Michigan, uh, with their police chief putting down his baton and his mask and walking with the protesters and, and high-fiving each of them and hugging them. You know, those images are important. Like like I've talked about, I grew up outside of Philadelphia and I know, you know, Camden was, was a tough place and police tactics there uh, came under criticism. And, and several years ago, they made an effort to try to change the way that they policed in that city. And, you know, you see images like what we saw of this police chief mark- marching hand in hand with protesters. 
that is a different Camden than the one that I grew up with. And I just hope that maybe some of the action that was taken in a city like that between the police force and the people of that city, you know, maybe that is something that other cities can look at and try to model themselves after. And look, I'd have to dig in and, and look at the research and the statistics of how things have actually changed there. But just that, vi- just seeing that, I mean, that them marching together, it's just not a thing that I would have ever grown up believing to be possible. So you know, I'll repeat it. Their job is incredibly difficult, but they have to do better. Good cops have to be willing to step up in this moment when it's not easy. Policing units have to be willing to change the way they go about doing their job. Uh, I don't think that that's an outlandish comment to make. I, I would like to believe that 99% of police officers in this country would agree with those comments. I believe there's there's police officers across this country who will lead the change that is needed within police forces to make things better. I know they're there. They have to be. They do. They do. Um, so, hey, this was, in some ways, I feel like we've said this a lot at the ends of, of podcasts. Oh, this, is, this has been the hard. In some ways. I'm not going to lie to anybody out there or pretend this has been the toughest one to, to try and, and talk about. It really has. Yeah, I know. God, remember when a, when a tough podcast for us to do was like the U.S. losing to Trinidad? Like, I, I didn't think anything could top that in terms of like, you know, oh, this is just a podcast that I don't want to do. You know, this is material I just don't want to talk about. But like, my God, what I would give for another soul crushing uh, U.S. men defeat in Trinidad compared I would take, to what we had to talk about. I would take a 4-0 out in Costa Rica any day of the week right now. Yeah, sometimes I would think you relish in it, secretly smiling as I sit See, there. He's trying to, trying to turn people against me. It's it's You have not taken on the spiritual mantle of, of the great honor that's been bestowed upon you, Reverend Gundling. Oh, <laughs> Reverend now. Yeah, let's call you the Rev. <laughs> well, hey, man, I appreciate this. I appreciate everybody out there listening. JJ, I love you, brother. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. Love you too, Andrew. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.